Palace Perspective is brought to you by Palace Capital Advisors, a comprehensive wealth management firm with locations in the Northeast specializing in financial and estate planning solutions, investment management strategies, and family office services for high net worth families across the country. Now here's your host, James Landry. Welcome to the Palace Perspective, the podcast that brings you conversations and professional analysis on the topics and trends affecting your everyday financial life. I'm James Landry, and I'm glad you chose to listen in today. I know you will find it once again valuable and timely information. So last time we talked about how the upcoming election may impact your investment portfolio, and more importantly, what you should be doing now to weather that storm. Well, today, as I record this, it's Thursday, November 5th, two days after the general election, and it is still not 100% decided as to who will be the U.S. president for the next four years. But there were also other elections, and those results were in some ways also very meaningful for investors. And I'd say those results, in some respects, were surprising. To help us chart a course forward, I've asked Mark Bogar, CFA, the Chief Investment Officer of Palace Capital Advisors, to join us once again today. Let's keep things in perspective. Despite some contentious rhetoric around the election, let's not forget that the U.S. remains the world's largest economy. We have strong checks and balances throughout our government system. We have always faced challenges. We're resilient, and I continue to believe that the future is bright for the United States of America. Mark, welcome back. Thanks, James. Great to be with you today. Mark, you and I have talked about this, and I think the biggest losers in the aftermath of this past Tuesday, or the past election, really have to be the pollsters. I mean, once again, Mark, they appear to have gotten things either flat out wrong, or in some cases, nowhere near to the scenarios that played out and are still playing out in reality. Well, I'd have to agree with that, James. I mean, polls clearly underestimated Republican voters across all the races, presidential, Senate, and the House. As we did our research ahead of time for this election, we were looking at the polls as everyone else was, and there were arguments to why the polls were better this time. Well, clearly they weren't. If you take the House race, the House was expected, the Democrats were expected to pick up a few seats. It actually went the other way. Republicans picked up a few seats. And again, as right. you noted, we're recording this on Thursday, so I'm giving kind of the most likely scenario as we see things today. Secondly, the Senate race. The Senate was the big one in terms of if that flipped from Republican to Democrat, that could open the door for a potential blue wave of a potential Democratic president, potential Democrat Senate, potential Democrat uh, House which can, can lead to then a, a whole bunch of different policy decisions, be it taxes, be it stimulus, et cetera. But again, as we talk about today, talk here today, most likely the Senate's going to stay Republican. And then finally, the presidential election, we still don't know, right? We still don't know. But the odds are we're most likely going to have a mixed government, no matter how it lays out, especially because it seems like the Senate's going to stay in Republican hands. You know, Mark, what's interesting is we were originally, you and I were scheduled to record this yesterday, Wednesday, November 4th, and we pushed it back. 24 hours thinking, well, maybe we'll know more by this Thursday in terms of a certainty of the election. And it it appears, at least uh, right now, that it could be a number of days before there is absolute clarity as to who, at least in the presidential election, is the winner, Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Yes. Certain races are still narrowing, right? We're seeing Georgia get tighter. We're seeing uh, Ford and Joe Biden's favor. We're seeing Arizona get tighter in President Trump's favor. And so, yeah, it looks like it's going to be a number of days till we have a definitive decision. So, Mark, the last time we spoke, and I think this is probably for our listeners, it would be good to have a brief recap of what we talked about last time of the possible election outcomes, and you briefly touched on it. Last time we met, we discussed three sort of at a very high level possible outcomes on the November 3rd election. So talk me through what are those three possible outcomes? 
Well, as you say, James, the three one that we were looking at with the blue wave, the red wave, and the blue red. So the blue wave, as I touched on, that'd be a Democratic sweep, right? Biden, President, Democrat, Senate, Democrat, House. What that investment implications of that would most likely be, most likely be higher taxes, but that could also have been offset by uh, stimulus programs and also most likely uh, lower tariffs than to the extent President Biden may have better relations around the world than maybe President Trump did. And that also had a result in, although maybe a push up in interest rates, that with all that spending, interest rates may go up sooner than later. Mm. With the red wave, Trump wins, Republicans keep the Senate, and maybe they even take the House. Most likely then that would continue on with lower taxes, less regulation. But there could be more social issues with that potentially, maybe more political unrest. And then finally, the, the blue-red, which again, odds are, and the odds seem to change on these things on a daily basis, but in the blue-red, say a Biden victory, Republican Senate, and a uh, Democratic House, that actually could be the most beneficial for markets because generally that can lead to gridlock. Uh, Republicans have one view of things and they're, they control the Senate. The House has another view. They control, I'm sorry, the Democrats have another view. They control the House. Then almost whoever is president, if, if the Congress is divided, it's tough for legislation to get passed. And so whether that legislation is on healthcare, financials, infrastructure, big tech companies, it, all, it would typically lead to then the status quo, and the market is generally used to the status quo, and so the market more fears big change. And so if there's not a big change, that's a relief to markets, and you can see some of those sectors do better. And of course, when we're talking about legislation, we're going to limit our discussion today really about legislation that would impact you know, either us from a, from a tax policy standpoint or other financial regulatory policy. There's so many other issues that we could touch on. If this were a different podcast, right? about how a Democratic-controlled Senate and White House versus a red wave, so to speak, would flesh itself out. And certainly not the least of which is the impact to add additional justices on the Supreme Court and how that might impact legislation down the road. But this is a podcast that's focused on financials, so let's stick with that uh, if we could. It looks like we're on this blue-red outcome. And so talk to us a little bit more about what that can mean for individual investors. I know there was, from the standpoint, and we talked to many clients, right? And we have many clients that are both Republican, I'd say, leaning and Democratic leaning. And regardless of their political uh, inclinations, most of the clients were concerned about the impact of potential taxation in the event of a, you know, Democratic-controlled Senate, Democratic White House. Now we're at this blue-red wave. Looks like that could be a much more challenging thing for the Democrats to pass. What does that mean for the investors? Well, as you mentioned, James, like taxes and regulation and stimulus, maybe right now I can address taxes and regulation are big concerns on investors' mind. And I would agree with those, that if we have a blue wave, most likely we would have uh, large changes on taxes and regulation. So Biden had already put out on the tax front uh, a significant plan to raise taxes across the board, be it capital gains, be it income tax, be it corporate taxes. And there could be offsets to that, as we talked about in prior podcasts, but on the tax front itself, higher taxes would be would be negative for corporate earnings and personal income for people making over a certain so amount. So it all flows down from the corporate level. I mean, not just to an individual mm-hmm. investor who gets a dividend and maybe taxed at a higher level, yeah. but the corporation itself, its ability to have an ROI is going to be impacted by maybe increased regulation, but also certainly increased taxation. Yes, yeah, so if increased taxes, maybe they take that out of wages, maybe they don't take it out of wages. It can right. all, it, uh, There can be a trickle-down effect to, right. to higher taxes. 
And then on the regulation front, people a lot of times talk about healthcare during election season. A lot of times healthcare companies trade off because usually both sides of the aisle say how bad pharma pricing is or what have you, and that there's going to be reform there. And typically the there's less reform than what it's talked about in the election. So right. typically healthcare stocks have a rebound from that. So we saw a little bit of that even yesterday, that again, if we have this purple divided government, then there most likely will not be any kind of major legislation against healthcare companies. Sounds like you're saying, in so manner of words, that the stock market likes gridlock in Washington. Is that they true? typically do, because usually the market expectations are set, okay, there are the rules that are set, and then the market discounts based on those rules. And so then if the rules are going to change, that raises uncertainty. And when there's uncertainty, then the markets don't like that, and they tend to trade off. So if there's more certainty, right. that can help markets rally. Same, same but different argument with technology stocks, that if technology stocks, they've been dragged before Congress, and I say technology stocks, the big ones, Facebook, Google, antitrust type concerns, but both sides of the aisle have different views of what those antitrust concerns are. And so what kind of legislation would be put in place to address those? Well, if you have a mixed government, it's going to be much, much harder to pass something. So it can be a relief for those bigger companies as well. Yeah. So we've said before that the market doesn't seem to have, historical at least, gone one way or the other, depending on the outcome of the election. However, it does not like uncertainty, whether it's in the form of a hanging chad back in 2000, yeah. or if it's in the form of some sort of vote fraud or chicanery, mm-hmm. as they would say. And not suggesting any of, any of that has happened, but that certainly the market does not like uncertainty. So right now it appears that status quo is favorable for the market. It certainly does, for yeah. at least for today. Talk about a little bit about stimulus, if you would, Mark. There's been a battle for and another round of stimulus that's been ongoing for, well, months now. And we thought we were coming up on some sort of agreement between uh, the Democrats, uh, Democrats and Republicans, but so far it's been nothing but stalemate. If we have a President Biden, and and now we have a still Republican-controlled Senate, Democrat-controlled House of Representatives, what are the prospects for stimulus in your mind in the near future? Well, let's uh, remind everyone, too, why we're talking about stimulus because of the coronavirus and the pandemic, right? So the pandemic still has a material effect on many industries. Here in the U.S., unemployment is still very high. Travel industries, gymnasiums, et cetera, all still uh, experiencing recession-like symptoms. And so there is generally a need for some stimulus in the economy. But what happened ahead of the election was maybe for political reasons, the all the parties couldn't come together and agree on a stimulus bill. And so we've had no additional stimulus over the last few months. And the thoughts of markets is if we had a blue, big blue wave, again, all democratic controlled, we'd probably have a massive stimulus program put in for the economy, right. which one could be helpful in the short run, but then that drives up the deficit and that could be more difficult. We'd have to fund that. And so rates may have to go up to, to fund that. But now with this, the more divided government, that can mean most likely we may still get a stimulus program, but it'd be scaled down. So I think the market's thinking about, okay, the economy still needs some stimulus. We can get through this election, actually get something passed, but most likely be a scaled down uh, version of a bill than it would have been under a full uh, blue wave. And stimulus can be more than just a check from the government in the mail, right? And it can involve other things like we saw in the CARES Act. But there was that check in the mail that thousands of U.S. taxpayers did receive. One, I've seen commentators say about that, I think, in, I think it was around $1,500, depending on the individual, that they would have received from the federal government. One commentator said that the people that actually really needed that stimulus were even before the CARES Act living paycheck to paycheck. 
So, it, or before COVID, I should say, living paycheck to paycheck. So that $1,500 stimulus did really little to make a difference for them. Do you see stimulus coming in the form of another cash from the government, or is it going to be in other means? Well, that's really difficult to say, because I think the history books will, will be written later on as to what the impact of these stimulus checks had, who, who did it help, who did it not help. And I think part of the holdup on the recent bills was what is the correct form for stimulus? And I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't predict exactly where the government will go with this. I know there were concerns, say, on the unemployment side, that when the, the boost to the unemployment benefits actually gave citizens more money in their pocket than they actually went back to work. So that was a disincentive to get people back to work. So I think the real work of the government is going to be constructing the best uh, mix of incentives and support. And it's yet to be seen how that's going to play out. You know, one of the provisions of the CARES Act uh, that passed earlier this year were that, and there's an article in the Wall Street Journal today that is entitled, Americans were given the coronavirus option to raid their 401k. Most didn't. So given the option from Congress or from from the U.S. government, Congress, the IRS, to take up to $100,000 from an IRA or 401k, and even if you wanted to, repay that back over three years so you can avoid not only a penalty on the withdrawal if you were below 59 and a half, but also avoid, you know, income tax on that if you repay it over those three years. And so far, the uh, journal was reporting that they surveyed Fidelity, Vanguard, Principal, Alight, and other 401k record keepers, and very few individuals have taken the opportunity to raid their 401ks or IRAs for that money. And one of the common uh, commentary in that article was that, well, actually, the people that really needed to raid those uh, accounts didn't have them to begin with because they were lower mm-hmm. income individuals that didn't have uh, 401k to begin with. So the question is, this idea of another round of stimulus, how effective will it really be to the overall economy? But I guess we certainly do got to get to the question of, will we even get another round of stimulus? And a lot of that, I think, will be determined on the outcome ultimately of these elections and how Congress and the White House can learn to work together. Let's talk a little bit about foreign policy, Mark. There is some idea out there that a President Joe Biden might have a softer stance towards foreign countries such as China. That may result in uh, a freer trade policy between the U.S. and those countries. Would that have an impact? I would think it would to investors, particularly those that invest uh, overseas. It certainly can. I think there's a perception and and reality that President Trump executed his foreign policy plans through tariffs. And so, at least to me, it was never very fully clear what is the overall strategy. There's tariffs get put on, tariffs get taken off, certain countries get them, certain countries do not. And it didn't seem to be a, a holistic policy. And I think there's thought that Joe Biden would put together more of a holistic policy that in some of the things that President Trump is trying to address with these tariffs, be it trade with China, too many imports potentially coming from China, whatever, maybe NATO spending from European countries, but address those in the appropriate venue and in the appropriate way. And that the diplomacy that potentially a potential President Biden could bring may bring that all those policies together in a more comprehensive way. And then maybe, okay, well, let's get the tariff situation figured out so that's uh, relatively equal for both sides and that, that that should be beneficial to, to whatever country we're doing those negotiations with. Thanks, Mark. I think we should revisit the key takeaway from our last podcast, 
uh, covering the election. And that had to do with the fact that historically at least, and we know history doesn't always repeat itself, but historically, investors who have been nervous about election results and have fled the cash have not necessarily been rewarded. Wait, James, so certainly no one has a crystal ball, right? And so it's very difficult to time the market, when to get in, when to get out. And generally, we believe that because that is so difficult to do, it's not worth doing. The most consistent thing you can do is stay invested in your risk assets. One stat we have since 1932, the S&P 500 index has gained an aggregate 710% under Democratic presidents and 375% under Republican presidents. But staying invested the entire time would have earned 47,000%. And that's according to Schwab. So these numbers, when you compound them, they, they get to kind of uh, very Seems large like numbers. Seems it, like a lot. It's, it's a big number. Yeah, but okay. the, the point of it would be consistently staying in markets, then the compounding effect works very well. And if you time the markets, you risk missing out on some, some big moves. And so it's, it's best, whether it's a Republican administration, Democrat administration, it's best to stay fully invested and to think about what really drives stocks. Well, in the longer term, it's the economic environment, it's Federal Reserve policy, it's corporate profits, inflation trends. Those all go to drive the market and not necessarily who's in the White House. A big part of our economy is driven by by private companies, well, private or public companies, non-governmental entities. And as such, that's what's really going to drive the stock market. So I could boil all this down to two big mistakes that investors should try to avoid making. Mistake number one, investors worry too much about which party wins the election. There's nothing wrong with wanting your candidate to win, but investors can run into trouble when they place too much importance on election results. That's because elections have, historically speaking, made essentially no difference when it comes to long-run investment returns. Mistake number two, investors try and time the markets around politics. If you're nervous about the markets in 2020, you're not alone. Presidential candidates often draw attention to the country's problems, and campaigns regularly amplify negative messages. So maybe it should be no surprise that investors have tended to be more conservative with their portfolios ahead of elections. Since 1992, investors have poured assets into money market funds, traditionally one of the lowest risk investment vehicles, much more often leading up to elections. By contrast, equity funds have seen the highest net inflows in the year immediately after the election. This suggests that investors may prefer to minimize risk during election years and wait till after the uncertainty has subsided to revisit riskier assets like stocks. But because of that behavior, that's where, where we would say you're better off staying fully invested through that. And when uh, concern is high, that's when you want to be more invested in the market and then when concern is low. So stay, stick with your long run investment uh, plan. And that's the best way to get to the best outcome. So don't allow predictions and outcomes to influence your investment decisions, certainly not the long-term ones. Expect volatility, don't fear it, and then stick to a long-term strategy instead of trying to time the markets around elections because history shows us that market timing really in any particular environment is not um, a healthy way to run a long-term investment portfolio. Totally agree. The November elections are yet another reminder to us that the end of the year is fast approaching. And I think most people would agree that we are ready for 2020 to come to an end. So as the calendar days march towards 2021, let's keep in mind that there are several things that listeners should review as they work to get their year-end financial house in order. And while procrastination is tempting, checking off items off of our to-do list always gives us a sense of accomplishment. And that includes even taking care of all the leaves on your lawn this weekend, which I'm sure it's time to do that. 
But anyway, before we get started, I think I want to just put out a caveat that I'm going to give you several year-end planning tips. They're simply guidelines. We should encourage investors and certainly all listeners to check with a tax advisor as every situation can have nuances that crop up. And as a reminder, we're always happy to help you. But let me just list these very quickly. First of all, healthcare enrollment has begun. If you obtain health insurance through the health insurance marketplace, it's time to purchase your health insurance for 2021. This is the one time a year you can change your health insurance coverage or enroll. And if you don't act by December 15, you will miss out on coverage for 2021 unless you qualify for a special enrollment period. Plans sold during open enrollment start January 1, 2021. On a similar note, open enrollment for Medicare has begun. You can sign up for Medicare health and drug plans between October 15 and December 7. Did you max out your retirement accounts? Reminder, you can put up to $6,000 into an IRA in tax year 2020, and $7,000 is the number if you're 50, age 50 or older. You will have until tax day to make a 2020 tax year contribution. The sooner you contribute, the longer your assets can grow tax deferred. Just a comment about required minimum distributions. If you are 72 or if you turn 70 and a half before January of this year, you are obligated to take a required minimum distribution from your IRA. But this year, 2020, is an exception. Thanks to the CARES Act, the required minimum distribution is waived in 2020. And this RMD waiver applies to everyone with a 401k, IRA, 403b, or 457b account. Owners of inherited IRAs may also suspend required minimum distributions for 2020. If you're over 70 and a half, you you are eligible to transfer up to $100,000 from your IRA to a charity without paying taxes on the distribution. And this is called a Qualified Charitable Distribution, or QCD. And the QCD satisfies the required minimum distribution requirement as long as certain rules are met. Again, in 2020, there is no required minimum distribution. And then, of course, as we come into year end, it's time to consider harvesting tax losses. For most people, I should say for many people that are clients of Palace Capital Advisors, we've been harvesting tax losses all along. But you don't want to forget to do this. Do you own stocks, exchange-traded funds, or mutual funds that are below the purchase price? If so, you may sell by the end of the tax year and offset up to $3,000 in ordinary income or capital gains. However, always want to remember, watch out for the wash sale rule and treatment of long-term and short-term losses. This rule defines a wash sale as one that occurs when an investor sells a security at a loss, and then within 30 days before or after the sale, Again, before or after the sale, buys a substantially identical stock or security. And if you violate the wash sale rule, the IRS will disallow you to take the loss. And then this one is actually tied in back into the election and the outcome of the election, Mark. Consider converting your traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. Depending on the outcome of the election, tax rates may rise, and they may rise considerably next year. So therefore, converting a traditional IRA into a Roth IRA this year would require taxes to be paid at 2020's rate, but it would enable the account holder to withdraw funds without paying federal taxes at retirement. So whether or not, I would say, tax rates rise next year, a Roth IRA is an excellent retirement vehicle. So let me remind everyone, these are year-end financial planning steps that are guidelines. One size certainly does not fit all. The advice we recommend is tailored to our clients' specific needs and goals, And of course, we're always happy to entertain questions that anyone has. So let's come to a conclusion, Mark. James, this podcast is titled A Palace Perspective. So let's keep things in perspective. Despite some contentious rhetoric around the election, 
let's not forget that the U.S. remains the world's largest economy. We have strong checks and balances throughout our government system. We've got the deepest, most transparent capital markets, and innovation isn't likely to end. We will face challenges in days and years ahead. We have always faced challenges. We're resilient, and I continue to believe that the future is bright for the United States of America. Mark, that's great. Thank you. And I think that'll do it for this round. Thanks so much, Mark. Listeners, stay tuned for our next podcast, where we have invited back Karen Regan, CPA, to discuss with me even more tips for year-end tax planning. So today's podcast was just a preamble there. So we're going to talk about more tips for year-end tax planning next time for individuals and closely held business owners. And again, that will be very timely and helpful, I'm sure. In the meantime, thank you listeners for listening. Also, if you would like to speak personally with Mark about your thoughts on the election, the outcome of the election, or any other investment-related matter, reach out to us through our website, palacecapitaladvisors.com. That's P-A-L-L-A-S capitaladvisors.com. We'll see you out there next time. Palace Capital Advisors, Triad Advisors, LLC, GWM Advisors, LLC, and their representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You should consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances. These materials are provided for general information and educational purposes based on publicly available information from sources believed to be reliable. We cannot assure the accuracy or completeness of these materials. The information in these materials may change at any time and without notice. The information contained here is for informational purposes only, is not personalized investment advice, and should not be construed as a recommendation, purchase, or sell any particular security sector or strategy to any individual person or entity. Securities offered through Triad Advisors, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through GWM Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor. GWM Advisors, LLC and Palace Capital Advisors, LLC are separate entities from Triad Advisors, LLC. 